Hey, welcome to the Jewish Road Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm here with my dad. Howdy, folks. Howdy. Howdy. Howdy, y'all. Howdy, y'all. Yeah, it's different than what we say in Brooklyn. We say, use guys. Use guys. How you doing? <laughs> Down here, we say, shalom, y'all. Yeah. Uh, we could say that, right? Or we say, hi, y'all. Hi, y'all. All right. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll give you a glossary later on so that you can see what all of this is like. Um, you know, we, we talk about here on the podcast that we are connecting this first act, which is the Old Testament, to the second act, the New Testament. And we talk about how the Jewish people are entrenched in that first act story, and the church, the Christians, they're really entrenched in that second act. And we have very clear lines, and we don't ever go outside of them unless it's David and Goliath and Noah and the Ark. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, there, there is absolutely no continuity from what we look at as Jewish history and salvation history, which the people in the second act, the ones who are focused in the New Testament, pick up at the cross and go forward. Yeah, so that was a mouthful. But what, what we want to do is really, uh, out of all of the, the passages, there's lots of passages that we could talk about that really illustrate this, but, but what we want to talk about today as we are heading into the Feast of First Fruits, <laughs> even the fact that I say that, a lot of people just scratch their head like, what is the Feast what of First Fruits, right? It's, yes. I'm, I'm so... What's the matter? Boy, now you're going really act one on us, and, and now we have no idea. But that, yeah. that just lends itself to the idea that, you know, every one of our holidays has multiple names and multiple spellings, and it gets a little confusing. What we're trying to do is let's bring some clarity to this story. Um, we're talking about... Uh, the resurrection of Jesus and why this is so important. And the only time that we're going to say this word Easter is now. Yeah. And now it's done. Okay. Okay. We're going to leave that. We're not going to talk about bunnies. We'll eat the chocolate, but we're not going to talk about the bunnies. We're not going to talk about Easter because that's a whole thing. Right. Yeah. So let's restore the Jewishness of this story and really make it applicable for both sides. So are you ready? Let's go. Take it off. Here we go. So we are talking about really up until the exodus out of Egypt, Israel was just a people, simply a people, right? Right. Okay. So what happens after that? Well, after the exodus, uh, Moses leads them out of Egypt and they come to Sinai and they're given the Torah. They're given the law. Uh, it's a constitution, if you will. And at that point, uh, they move from being a people to being a nation Mm. because now they have a governing constitution, which is the law of God. Really? The the ketubah, right? Look, they get, well, that, that would be like the 10 commandments, right? But like, this is, this is a marriage. This is a relationship. Yeah. And so he's, he's building out his promise, uh, that, he made all the way back, you know, to Abraham that uh, through Israel, all of the nations would be blessed. And so what's really remarkable is that this, you know, feast, this quote unquote feast points to an even greater deliverance for Israel and for all of the nations. We're talking about that feast of Passover. Yeah. Now, and Passover is really the season that we're in. As you're listening to this right now, it's always Passover followed by seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so as you're listening to this, we are right in the middle of all of that right now. Um, But Passover is really the first of all of the feast days and all of the holidays that we look at are, are found in Leviticus 23. And really, these days are referred to in Hebrew as the Moedim, Right. The appointed times, right? Right. These are the appointed times of God. And I really like thinking of it in that way because 
uh, God has appointed times. He has appointed times for Israel back then under the law, uh, as well as their prophetic significance for Israel and all of the nations in the future. So, you know, as Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, uh, we we see a picture of God's appointed times actually uh, having feet and moving. Uh, we have a reference to that uh, in Exodus chapter 14, uh, when Moses was at the Red Sea, he said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And in verse 31 of that same chapter 14, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Yeah, and you see that really that I think it's in Exodus 7 that God um, performs these signs and the miracles the, in the plagues so that it says in, in chapter 7 that Egypt would know that he's God. And then after yeah. Israel, they are watching everything that's going on with Egypt, then God says, I've done this so that Israel would know that I'm God. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, you go throughout scripture, God always God is a God that wants to be known. Right. And he will go to any lengths to show his people that he yeah. wants to be known. That is a theme that plays out all through scripture. It plays out through uh Exodus and it plays out through uh the rest of uh the scriptures, Ezekiel, Isaiah, there are constant references to the fact that uh I will do this so that the nations will know. So uh, as we look at Passover, the season that we're in, it was really a shadow of things to come. Uh, there was uh, another deliverance that God had in his plan, you know, his appointed times. And that's the deliverance and the redemption of not only Israel, but of the whole world. And to understand that, uh, you know, we can take a look uh, in many places, but one place is uh, the prophet Isaiah in the 52nd chapter and in verse 9 it says break forth together into singing you waste places of Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people he has redeemed Jerusalem the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God hmm. yeah it's big this is this is looking obviously at the end times and God physically redeemed Israel out of Egypt, but this time Isaiah is saying that uh, there's going to be not only a physical redemption, but a spiritual redemption for Israel, and not only Israel, but the whole world. Yeah, and he says that as you, you go into the next chapter in Isaiah 53, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
really, this is this is talking about Isaiah is referring to the servant of the Lord who will bring a greater deliverance even than the one that brought them out of Egypt. Which is amazing as you look at that, that God is constantly telling the Israelites, he's keep, he keeps saying, remember, remember, it was I, I brought you out of Egypt with a mighty outstretched arm. But he's also pointing to... If you thought that that was great, there's something even greater yeah, to come. you ain't seen nothing yet. That's right. <laughs> and so really that's a reference and he's pointing to the atonement of the lamb that will take away sin. And you have Yohanan, John the Baptist, he says, in John, he says, in, it's John one twenty nine. behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yeah. So... Uh, and we can read even further. What's interesting is we've, we've gone from the prophecy to the, to the nations and the end times to the actual um, you know, salvation that comes through the suffering of the Messiah. But if you move down a little bit in the 53rd chapter to verse 10, it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, we just read in the previous verses in Isaiah that he was going to be wounded and that he was going to suffer and he was going to die for the transgressions of not only Israel, but all of humanity. And now he's saying he's going to see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. How will he see his offspring? And how is he going to prolong his days? Right. If, if, he's a, if, if he's the sacrifice, if he is the offering, the, this offering for guilt, then he's dead. He's gone. There, there can't be any way that, that he would see his offspring. He's yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when, when all of this, you know, was read... To me, <laughs> the first time when I had to take it seriously uh, because I had a serious witness coming to me and the 53rd chapter of Isaiah was pulled out and then I was asked after it was read, who does this sound like? And I said, well, it, it sounds like Jesus. What's he doing in my Bible? You know, so, you know, the Hebrew scriptures say that the servant of the Lord, who is the Messiah, must suffer and die and be buried but he doesn't stay in the grave. If he did, then we wouldn't have any hope. Now, now here's a question for you. Um, obviously, Isaiah 53 is in the Old Testament. It's in the Tanakh. And the Jewish people are aware that Isaiah 53 is there. Yeah. So if you were to go to a Jewish person today and you were going to show them, this is here, the Messiah is not only going to come, but he did come and he was going to come to suffer. He did yeah. come to suffer. What what do they say in response yeah. to that? Yeah. Well, some of them are surprised, just like I was, mm -hmm. that uh, this is actually talking about somebody who is going to suffer and die in this way. And it, it's just obvious, even if you're not schooled in, uh, you know, in New Testament uh understanding of Jesus and what he did and all of that, you know something because, you know, you live in America, it's all around us. Uh, but if you've been schooled uh, and have held closely in, uh, in the Jewish community and in the rabbinic training, uh, you'll look at that passage of scripture and many of them will say, well, it's not referring, the servant of the Lord is not referring to uh, the Messiah, it's referring to Israel. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we'll that's have a whole to take study that, by itself. Right, yeah. We'll take that on another day. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what, what really, what really gets me is this, that, uh, that we have this Messiah who has suffered and he dies and he's buried and he doesn't stay in the grave though. Uh, because as I said, if he, if he did, then we wouldn't have any hope. And, you know, it makes me think, uh, of that issue of having no hope, just like the two disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus. I mean, it's one of my favorite stories, I think, as we look at that in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. Yeah, and so it, it says, uh, you know, they, they're they walking along and they knew the one that they thought was the Messiah, right? Just like what we were talking about last time, they're all, the, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is coming, and now we can celebrate. And then, you know, now we have this Messiah that they had all their expectations on. He has been killed. They they saw that. And he was the one that was going to redeem Israel, uh, but now he's dead, and it's the third day. And really, after the third day, um, there's there's no hope, right, of him coming back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there... According to rabbinic teaching, there would be no hope of anybody rising from the dead after the third day, uh, which is interesting because that's why uh, Yeshua, Jesus, I believe, waited four days before he went to Lazarus. Because then there's really no hope yeah, whatsoever. there was no hope. Yeah. He, he didn't <laughs> seem like he was in any rush to get over there to yeah. help Lazarus out. Yeah. But well, it's, it's interesting with the two uh, disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, you know, and they're talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they're talking and discussing together, here Jesus himself, it says, drew near and went with them. All of a sudden he shows up walking next to them. And their eyes, it says in verse 16, were kept from recognizing him. Hmm. You know, and, it, you know, I mean... That shouldn't be anything too difficult for anybody to perceive, you know. I mean, I think of Elijah and Elisha, remember? And uh, they were they were coming to a place where they're going to form a battle, and Elisha says to Elijah, he says, look how many there are. We're outnumbered. And Eli Elijah says to him, mm. you know, no, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And God opens up his eyes and he sees this whole vast army. So this is not a, a you know, an unfathomable thing that their eyes were kept from seeing him. And, and let's pay attention to that for a little bit. As we go through the text, let's, let's pay attention to the eyes, what the eyes are able to see and what the eyes are able not to see, what they're not able to see, okay? So good. So there, uh, I think we're in verse 17. 17. And it says, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood, they stood still and they were looking sad. <laughs> and they said, then one of them named Cleopas said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. Like, you know, before there were all the news networks, oh, yeah. you know, th this was big news. I mean, there was nobody in that area. And, and he proves it by saying, are you the only one who doesn't know yeah, what's going yeah. on? It's like, did you just parachute in from another planet or what? What rock have you been hiding under? Yeah. You know, what turnip truck did you just fall off of? Yeah, and, and it just kills me because they say, they say you know, 
uh, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things? And he says, what things? Right. And, and they say the only visitor. So they really don't see him, right? Like, who is this country bumpkin that's right. you know, following us? They don't and, recognize him. Yeah. So he's just, he's leading them on a little bit, right? So what things? And they say, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and they crucified him. And then this this just taps into what they were hoping for, right? But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. I mean, if you could just park on that line for a little bit, we had hoped that he was the one yeah. who we could set up the tabernacles and we, we could yeah. dwell. We yeah. hoped that we could throw over Rome and have that be gone. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, it reminds me of, you know, uh, you know, will you at this time restore the kingdom? You know, they're waiting for, they're waiting for a deliverer like Moses. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And it says, yes, and besides all of this, it's now the third day since these things happened. In other words, it's not happening. Yeah, and it, it is remarkable. Then he says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wow, he's going back to act one, isn't he? He is. And he says, was it, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And look at what it says in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Boy, would I love to have a sermon on those, uh, those teachings that he had. You know, but notice he goes back to Moses and all the prophets. You know, Jesus never, ever quoted the New Testament. He couldn't. It wasn't there. <laughs> it wasn't there. But yeah. you know, it's interesting, and I, I'll, I'll wrap this because I know we want to go one other place, but you know, as they're going, Jesus continued, they implore him, they say, stay with us, and so he did, and then it says this, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks, <laughs> probably mm-hmm. said, Baruch atah, right? right? Uh, he broke it, and he began to give it to them, just like he did with the disciples, just what, four days earlier, yeah. right? Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then, at that point, it says, then there What? Their, their eyes. The eyes are opened. Yeah. The eyes are opened and they recognized him and then he disappeared from their sight. sight. Yeah. He disappears. Yeah. And it's this connection even of of what you have back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they're in the garden and as they take the fruit and then Eve gives the fruit to Adam, it says, then the eyes of both of them were, were opened open. and they realized that they were naked. Yeah. What was started there in the garden, the eyes were open to their sinfulness. Now, Luke gives us this beautiful close to this story and says the eyes were opened, but now we're open to salvation, Yeah, not to sin. Wow. Great story. Great story. Yeah. Are we done? Yeah. Well, no? I, I think that there's a couple other things we want to mention here because, uh, I, you know, we're not making this all up. Paul... Uh, who was a Pharisee, who was probably better schooled than anybody, his conclusion in 1 Corinthians 15, as he's speaking to the Corinthians, he's saying, and if the Messiah has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. It's useless. You know, so what, we, what we've been saying is that without the resurrection, the atonement 
is just nonsense. It, uh, it if, doesn't if, do anything. If Jesus only died on the cross, if the Passover lamb was only slain, yeah. but not brought back to life, right. th- there is no story. We're yeah. not really truly saved. There's just a sacrifice, but there's no right. hope of life afterwards. Yeah. yeah. The resurrection is actually the validation of the atonement. Because without the resurrection, the atonement, the death of the Messiah, is completely meaningless and irrelevant. And Yeshua is the one who was the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. Uh if the Messiah had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain, you know? Uh, so, you know, it, it's an important thing. We, we can't just stop at the Passover. You know, it makes me think of the fact that, you know, for so long, we, you know, when we became believers, we got excited and you go, wow, you know, the Afikomen and the third cup, this is what it really means. This is what Yeshua took. You know, this bread is my body. This cup is the blood of the new covenant. And we celebrate that at Passover. And, you know, we didn't take it to the next step, I'm afraid, uh, for such a long time. But we need to take it to this point here because the resurrection is not the fulfillment of the Passover, but it's the fulfillment of the Feast of First Fruits that we started talking about. Yeah, it's the very next holiday. Right. And it says, this is again in Leviticus 23, right? Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and you reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. And on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Yeah, that's that's the first act. Yeah, and the, and, and what we're really looking at here is at the feast of first fruits. When you know early in the spring, when they plant the crops, and the first finally pops up out of the ground, they would take part of that and bring it to the temple with an offering and a sacrifice, thanking God that the first was finally out, and they could expect a huge harvest and a huge crop. So, you know. This idea of first fruits is really important, and Paul connects it. Uh, he says, if the Messiah, if in fact, but in fact, the Messiah has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So that in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. So the Jewish expectation was that the Messiah, you know, their, their expectation was that he would overthrow and deliver the people from the yoke of Rome, just like Moses did in Egypt. But the Messiah, who would die, you know, that is not part of the program here. That's unthinkable. Yeah. And so I think what we, what we end up seeing is, unfortunately, uh, our Jewish people, we celebrate uh, these holidays, really the pinnacle, I think, in the Jewish uh, you know, festivals this time of year is Passover. And our Jewish people, we celebrate the Passover. We don't really do much with the Feast of First Fruits, right? Like if you ask no. most Jews today, like, hey, so what do you, uh, I know that you're having a great Passover Seder at the temple there. Uh, what are you doing for First Fruits? Not much is, is showing up. They're going to just, you know, it's just a, another... Another Torah reading. Well, and and let's face it, we don't live in an agrarian culture, at least around here. Right. Uh, they might more so in Israel, uh, but I don't think that there is much of a recognition of the Feast of First Fruits. I mean, after all, it's a secular nation at this point. 
Yeah. And so really the, the story stops in act one for our Jewish people. And then we go to act two for the Christians. And this week is really all about the, the death and the resurrection, but it's not couched in that first act into that old Testament context. So we're missing this big piece of what was the lamb up to? What is this meal that Jesus is having with his disciples? And as we're taking the bread in the cup on Good Friday, uh, what, what is the context? It, we don't know that this is the cup of redemption, and we don't know. Like, we've just missed out on a huge part of that. Yeah, and what's, what's interesting is our Jewish people, they're the ones who call that third cup the cup of redemption. We didn't name it that. Right, that's right. Yeah. But, but we don't ever, in the church, when we're taking this, we don't ever call it the cup of redemption. No, no. And uh, and I think uh, we, what a lot of our friends in the church have, you know, what they celebrate, really, at this time of year, they just, I mean, the Jewish people don't celebrate first fruits, uh, you know, to any great extent. But Christians celebrate Easter uh, which is totally belonging to another religion as far as Jewish people are concerned. And it, it's not indicative, really, of what actually is biblically taking place here in the Old Testament economy, in what we call what we would call the uh, Act One of this two-act play. Uh, and it has significance for those who believe and are immersed and understand Act Two of the play. Yeah. So... That was not the end of the story. Uh, the truth of the resurrection came to the disciples of Yeshua, of Jesus, and they saw, they believed, and then they proclaimed the good news of his resurrection. And that is the truth. It's where salvation history uh, really has met up with Jewish history, and we're taking it that next that next phase. But this is where we really need to bring together these two acts and then live it out in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. So, wherever you're at, and as you are celebrating uh, this weekend and you're going into all of this, we want to just encourage you uh, to jump in, to look at the entirety of the story, and as you go out, that you may be blessed. So, that's it. That's it. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the Jewish Road Podcast, and until next time, may you be blessed, and may you live out this prayer that you would pray for the peace of Jerusalem, especially in these times. We say Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Yeah, when we do, uh, we're we're praying for the return of the Messiah and world peace here on earth as He establishes His kingdom. Amen. All right, Shalom. Shalom.